Hey dog people of the internet, welcome to Cog Dog Radio, a podcast all about dog sports, behavior, and training. I'm your host, Sarah Stremming of the Cognitive Canine, and I can't wait to share my behavior cases, training revelations, and general geekery with you. Let's get started. All right, everyone, I have a requested topic today, which is trail etiquette with dogs. Generally speaking, my dogs are off-leash most of the time that I walk them, but sometimes they're on-leash, and so a few of these points will be in regards to leashed trail walks, but in general, I am talking about etiquette for off-leash walking with your dog, so here we go. First of all, and it really does go without saying, but in general, if your dog is off-leash, they should have a good recall. And by good, I mean your recall keeps them generally safe and generally keeps them from bothering anybody else. So if they are going to approach other dogs and not recall off of them, they probably shouldn't be off leash in an area where you're going to see other dogs. Same with if they're going to approach people. I have a lot of other material on teaching recalls, so I'm not gonna go into that here. But in general, unless your recall is pretty good, unless you can pretty much count on the dog coming back to you when you call it, and I want you to get real with yourself about that, then maybe it is long line time, or maybe it is a very remote location time for you. Another piece that I tend to follow is that if I see somebody coming and they've got dogs and their dogs are on leash and my dogs are off leash, I'm going to put my dogs on leash. So if I see leashed dogs, I am going to immediately put my dogs on leash. That's not because they won't recall. That's not because they're going to approach off of cue. It is to signal to that other person that I see that their dogs are on leash and that I'm going to pay them the respect that I like to see and I'm going to put my dogs on leash. When I'm walking my dog on leash somewhere and I see an off-leash dog, I appreciate this same courtesy. I appreciate the person going ahead and leashing their dog. It just removes any possibility for an unwanted interaction and it signals to the other person that you are going to be polite in this interaction and you're not going to allow something to happen that not everybody wants to happen. So if you see somebody coming whose dogs are leashed, go ahead and put your dogs on leash as well. There are a few times that I will go ahead and pass others on a trail and there are other times that I will pull over. This is not always cut and dried, but in general, I will pull over for bikes or other vehicles and horses. So if people are on horseback, I'm gonna pull my dogs well off the trail and put them in a downstay. This is to avoid any possibility of my dog scaring the horse or causing that rider any issues. I have been in situations where horses came really close to me before I knew they were there and I needed to very quickly kind of usher my dogs off to the side. In those situations, those horses tended to be pretty solid, pretty bomb-proof. The people who ride them generally know what their horses can handle and can't, and they know if they're in very dense forest they might come across something um, that they weren't aware of. So I've been in mostly fine situations as far as that is concerned, but I do pull my dogs over if I see people on horseback. Also pull my dogs over if I see people on bikes, and I really appreciate it when the people on bikes signal to me that they're coming. I don't always hear them, especially if they're going really quickly. 
And if they will ring a bell or say on your right or something like that, I really, really appreciate that because nothing is more kind of nerve wracking than having like a speeding mountain bike whiz right past you and they didn't let you know they were coming. I have a little dog that could easily get run over by a bike like that. It makes me nervous. So I love it if they actually let me know that they're coming. And then what I will do is pull my dogs over again, put them on a downstay and allow the cyclist to pass me. Let's say that I'm heading downhill though, and I've got a mountain biker coming up that hill and it is a climb and they are really struggling and it is hard. A lot of times they will take it as the like, Ooh, okay, I need a break and they'll stop and pull kind of themselves over. In that case, I will go ahead and pass them as they are catching their breath from their uphill climb. But usually I'm going to pull over for bikes and I'm going to pull over for horses. In the case that I see off-road vehicles, ATVs, anything like that, I'm definitely pulling my dogs way off trail and putting them on a downstay. If my dogs are off leash and I see people walking their dogs and their dogs are also off leash and they have no intention of leashing their dogs, then I'm probably also not going to leash my dogs. I don't want off-leash dogs approaching my dogs on leash, and so I am not going to be the only one leashing their dogs. I will generally have a good look. What kinds of dogs am I looking at? Do these dogs look generally under control? Are they barreling towards me? Are they listening to their person? I'll kind of just have a look at it. If it's a Labrador that's fetching a chucket ball and it's not even going to look in my direction, no big deal. We're just going to walk on past. More often than not, if this is the case and the people see me and they don't put their dogs on leash, they want their dogs to interact with mine. I'm going to do a quick assessment of body language. I always have spray shield with me just in case things don't go well. But this is a situation where I inform my dogs that they are going to interact. They interact briefly and then I call them and we keep going. So I tend not to stop. I tend to let the dogs all kind of sniff each other and move on and we keep going. So in a rare instance though, I may have a dog approach me and the person is so far away that they can't do anything about it and they're not recalling or the dog the dog isn't recalling even if maybe they're trying to sometimes in that situation I will control that dog if I need to so I had a case once where it was a German short hair pointer and there was no one to be seen I mean the dog was just sprinting through the forest and no one was there and he was kind of harassing my dog Felix and Felix had kind of told him like bro I don't want you to hang out with us. And we had tried to move on, tried to shake this dog. And I finally just went ahead. I'm typically carrying leashes with me and put the dog on a slip lead and just walked him with us for a while until he started to get a little bit distressed and was like, I think I need to go the other way. And then I let him go and he went the other way. It turns out his person was that direction. He started to be like, oh, you're taking me too far outside of my radius. His radius was enormous, but he knew what it was. And I let him go back and then he left my dogs alone. So I'm always prepared to kind of control the situation if I need to. I have that spray shield. I have a slip lead. I will feed dogs. I will do kind of whatever I need to do to control an interaction. But I try to keep the interactions very brief and then just kind of move on with my life. Now, having my small dog, Rhea, if the dogs are really big, if they um, have certain body language, I am not going to lie. If there's certain breed types, I will often pick her up. Um, I don't like doing that. I don't like to kind of take her autonomy that way. But if I'm nervous about an interaction, I'm going to simply remove her from it because of the size disparity. If the people are not leashing their dog and my dogs are off leash and I know that my dogs are going to want to say hello and their dogs may not, I tend to call out to them. I tend to check and make sure that it's okay that the dogs interact. Because once you check, 
they might actually put the dog on leash and go the other way. Or I've had people go, oh, no, we're going to go this way and kind of get off trail. So I've had people avoid me after I asked. And then I've had people say, oh, yeah, everybody's fine. Generally speaking, that is true. Even if fine means too social, hypersocial, annoying is a lot of times what it means. But it usually doesn't mean my dog's going to come and aggress upon your dog severely. So I do tend to check in before I allow my dogs to visit. Another one is that you want to keep your dogs in your sight. So they might be off leash, but you want to keep them where you can see them. This can be tough to do in dense forest. So I will have them on GPS and I will have them wearing bells so that I know where they are, even if they're out of sight briefly. But generally speaking, I want to keep them in sight. And one of the things that I do to help keep them in sight and to just help them from getting lost is I teach them to check in with me at trail junctions. This is really simple, you guys. It's super impressive when it actually plays out, but it's not an impressive training process at all because I just feed my dogs at junctions. So I approach a junction and I feed everybody. And I very quickly, they start to stop and wait at trail junctions to have their snack. And then that way they're never going the wrong direction. They're never going a direction I didn't want them to go. And because border collies are not right in the head, mine get really excited about the trail junction, not really for the food, but because I'm gonna tell them which way to go. And they're very excited about being told what way to go. And Rhea thinks this is ridiculous and likes to eat food and likes to chase them and bark, but does not understand what the fuss is about being told which way to go. Another one is, especially if you're kind of in a dog heavy area or maybe like a dog beach or even, even a dog park, is that if somebody is playing with their dog with a toy, so if somebody's throwing a bumper in water or they're throwing a ball in a field or whatever, it is really best etiquette for your dog to not take that toy. So even if your dog is way faster than theirs and is outrunning their dog easily, it's not cool to come and kind of bombard somebody else's play session and it's not cool to take somebody else's toy. This can be hard to prevent if your dog is really into toys, so that might be a situation where you leash as you pass to prevent your dog from going and taking that toy. And then I want my dogs capable of two things. I want them capable of pulling over and doing a downstay, as I've mentioned many times, but I also want them capable of passing a person and their dog without saying hi. So I want them really capable of walking right on past. This is a hard one for Rhea. She thinks we should always say hi. She thinks that, you know, she should really assess the entire situation, say hi to all the dogs, say hi to all the people. Border Collies would prefer not to say hi. So that's an easy one for them. But I want a cue, a really established behavior. I want to tell my dogs, we are not saying hi right now. You are passing. We are, we are going to keep going. And this is done through repetition and positive reinforcement. So I use the cue not now and not now just means you're, you're not going to say hi to that individual. And I keep walking forward and I say not now and I keep walking forward. And if the dog checks in with me instead of the person or the dog, I will feed them. And then I always feed them and I feed them a lot after the pass has completed. So I'm saying not now and I'm ushering them past with, you know, yes, leash pressure they're typically on a harness sometimes a collar I teach them how to yield to leash pressure so it's not a you know it's not a collar correction it's just no we're actually going this way 
and I'm telling them not now. And then once we have passed, I feed them and then I generally let them off leash again if this is an off leash area and keep going. So I want them really capable of passing because, and I don't know about you, but I hate it when I need to pass a dog that is lunging at my dog. And I don't care if it's friendly or not. I hate it when I need to pass somebody whose dog is just full on lunging at mine. Recent true story, I had my dogs pulled over in a downstay so that a woman could pass by. She had a Labrador and a like a wire hair pointing Griffon. So big, powerful, muscular hunting dogs, both of her dogs. And they were both on, I think they were on flexi leashes, both like flexi leashes and choke chains, like the winning combination. And they were just like chest on the ground, dragging her towards my dogs. Like she had, she was powerless to stop them from dragging her entire body into my space, into my dog's space. And that's rare, but it's happened to me enough times to mention. And just by the way, of course, I released my dogs from the downstay and intercepted her dogs with a food scatter. So I got my dogs out of there and then I intercepted her dogs. But (laughs) because I don't like that, like none of that body language makes me happy. I think those dogs were friendly, but I don't think this is gonna go anywhere positive. So teaching your dog that they can pass by and that dragging you towards another dog is never something that is gonna yield good results for them is just such an important thing to do. And I think in reality, She expected to be alone on the trail and to let the dogs just use the full extent of the flexies or maybe even expected to take them off leash. And she didn't expect to run into me because I was there too to also not run into her. And it's just, I wish everybody worked super hard on walk with me past this. It's not for you. And you can start it with, you can start it with known dogs, known people, And then you can do it in situations where nobody's going to want to say hi to your other dog, like shopping centers and things like that. And just keep building it up. Keep with the consistency. If I say not now, I am not going to allow a leash greeting. Okay, so if I said not now, even if that person decides that their dog's friendly and wants to come on over, I say, nope, not today. We're going to keep walking and I keep ushering them past. Also, as I've mentioned many times, I work really hard on that pullover to a downstay. It's really, really important that you do that frequently. So whether there's anything to deal with or not, you just pull the dog over, ask them for a downstay. You're gonna, they're gonna eat some food for the downstay, and then everybody's gonna keep walking. Important that that doesn't always signal to the dog that something is coming, right? And so that is an important one to just practice. So I'm sure that I have missed a few etiquette points. Please let me know if I have, but those are my basic ones, and I hope you found this helpful. All right, and a few Patreon questions for you. This first one comes from Mangan, who writes, I have a rescue bully mixed dog who exhibits barky lungy behaviors toward people and dogs. And Megan notes that the people-directed stuff is fear-based and the dog-directed stuff is more kind of excitement and frustration. She continues, We have made a ton of progress with a number of resources, including your podcast, and shortened the distance significantly with dogs to about 10 feet and essentially got rid of it with people. Congratulations, Megan. That sounds fantastic. My question is, how would you suggest closing the rest of the distance for one possible group sport classes and two rare occasions in nature where you have to pass the dog in close proximity? I am 
imagine the procedures you described in the differential reinforcement episode of the Barking Lungy series would be helpful for the former, but perhaps not so much for the latter. Currently, in the instance where we do have to pass closely, I let there be slack in the leash and a brief greeting and then move on, but I wonder if there's a better way. Thanks so much. I have really loved binging on all the episodes. So, Mengen, how I might suggest doing that would be really specific to your situation, which I don't know everything about and I can't possibly know everything about just from Patreon. However, yes, the DRA procedures from the Barky Lungy episode would be a great place to start. They would actually work for both of the situations, the nature situations and the group class situations. But it also sounds like allowing the dog to say hi and then asking the dog to move on is not such a terrible thing. If you got enrolled in some sport classes that were well-run, well-organized, and your dog could have an appropriate amount of distance from the other dogs, that would be a great way for you to build up the dog's interest in the training and the game so that he is less interested in the other dogs in that situation, as well as just basically lay down that positive reinforcement. If the dog can do it at 10 feet, great. Try nine and a half feet next time and then eight feet, etc. Managing in real life sounds like still what you're doing in closer than 10 feet. And I don't think that there's a huge problem with that. But in general, a good well-run sport class should be able to help you with this if the dog's not dangerous. And if there are kind of appropriate barriers that can be put up just in case. But in general, building that dog's attention on you, focus on you, fun with you in things like playing agility, which private lessons would be a really good thing for. So the dog loves agility before you involve other dogs in it. All of those things are good ideas. You've already worked really hard and come really far. And I do think you can go the rest of the way by continuing to lay down that positive reinforcement, continuing to build your training skills. So can the dog heal? Can the dog downstay? Can the dog do a nose target? If the answer is no, that's what I would go back to, build the skills that the dog has so that you can ask the dog to engage in other skills around other dogs. Best of luck. All right, next one comes from Izzy who writes, besides improving training skills, do you have any tips for adjusting to a dog that's very different from your previous dog in terms of training style? Just for context, I see now that my first dog was the perfect balance between thoughtfulness and action, and he was so easy to train, basically read my mind. My current teenager, same breed, both Shelties, thinks very little and is basically all action. She has a lot of feelings about things that she wants and will go to silly and often often annoying measures to get them. These traits make her a super fun dog and she makes me laugh every day. Training her has just been a humbling experience. I'm also enrolled and worked up at the bronze level. So Izzy, your question was, do I have tips besides improving training skills? For adjusting to a dog that's very different from your previous dog in terms of training style. No, my primary tip is working on your training skills. If you're frustrated, it is about the training. But it's not necessarily always about your skills. Sometimes it's about the program that the dog is in. So what I like to say is that I really allow my dogs to be who they are. And in order to let them be who they are, I have to meet them where they are. So that means that I'm not going to force them into my training program. I'm going to adjust my program for who they are and what's best for them. So for instance, Rhea, my little Icelandic sheepdog, is very, very different from any of my Border Collies and really different from Felix, my seven-year-old Border Collie, who's kind of the other primary dog that I train right now. And I constantly adjust the program to help her. So 
my skills are good, but I need to adjust the program to be best for her all the time. A good example would be weave poles. She's the first dog I've had that is learning best with gates, with actual barriers to provide kind of the slalom pattern that the dog needs to take through the poles. She is literally the first dog I've ever had that I've used gates for. And that's about adjusting the program for her. That's not something that I want to do. I hate using props. I hate using extra stuff. I hate getting rid of it. I hate hauling it around. But I adjusted the program for her so that she could learn best. That's just one example. So I think appreciating this dog and adjusting the program that the dog is in might be an additional piece that you can focus on. All right, next one comes from Yasmin, who says, my adolescent dog, Fena's hikes improved dramatically since working with you one-on-one and taking your teenage tyrants course. That's so awesome to hear. Fena is highly environmentally focused and couldn't have cared less about my existence previously. This is much better now. One of our remaining sticking points is check-ins on hikes. You've mentioned before that a true check-in happens when the dog comes back to you from up ahead or behind on the trail. Fena has never done this. She will stop and look at me from 80 to 100 feet ahead, but will only come to me if I stop and take a step backwards. This feels like cheating since my movement is acting as a cue for her to come to me. Any thoughts on how I can get true check-ins out of her? Thanks. You know, this happens to more people than I would have thought that it happens to, that they shape inadvertently the dog looking at them from far away. And you probably then mark or reach into your bait bag or whatever, and then the dog comes down. So they basically train you to show them the reinforcement before they come on down. A few ways that this can be improved. One is to take the dog on more outings where they're on a leash or a long line and they're kept closer to you and you feed them frequently. The other is to shape just some motion towards you and then build on that motion towards you don't step backwards but if she stops and looks at you turn around and go the other way and then if she catches up because she's following you then feed her right as she catches up and then you could turn back and and go the way you were going so what you may find is that she starts to come towards you before you turn around and go And if that starts to happen, I want you to mark, run away, feed so many cookies. I would have differential reinforcement here. I'd have different values of food that I would give for if the dog checks in on their own. But in general, what I always want to know is if the dog's on a leash and you're walking them, are they checking in? Because if they're not checking in even when you've produced a radius for them, then they're not going to check when they're allowed to produce their own radius. So if the dog's on a short leash and is not checking in is pulling is sniffing is needs to be prompted to look at you that's the first thing i would fix is i would put the dog on a leash and i would not necessarily walk in like a neighborhood but maybe just walk around a park or a soccer field or something like that and feed the dog every time that they do acknowledge you to build the behavior essentially you're asking for behavior that isn't in the dog's repertoire in a really tough situation for the dog to give you the behavior puppies naturally check in i think the reason i've never had a problem with this is because i know what i'm looking for and i shape it when they're babies and they are naturally providing it but now you're in a situation where you probably want to shape it in other circumstances before bringing it back to this tough circumstance good luck let us know how it goes All right, next one comes from Paige. Paige's question is, do you have any recommendations for somebody, a person, rebounding after a stressful or scary event on a decompression walk? Paige goes on to relay a scary thing that happened to her on a walk involving a venomous snake. 
that I will save everybody from <laughs> and not read. But in general, the question is, how do we rebound after something scary happens to us? And this has to do with our own personal resilience, I think. It has to do with how we face life in general. And so that's a deeper question that I'm not really qualified to answer. But for me, I go back to my roots. I go back to my safest, safest places and build up my ability to be out there without worry before I go to those harder places again. I kind of go easy on myself and say, you know, yeah, that freaked you out. So how can, how can we avoid it if we can? If we can't, what are some things that'll keep me safer around it? And then I go to my easy button places. If I've got a place that feels really easy to me, I will go back there. It, and that could be, sometimes that means it's not a decompression walk. Sometimes that means that you put that dog on a leash and go on a walk on a kind of public trail to shake off some of those feelings before you get back out there. So just, you know, be kind to yourself. Recognize that that is a normal thing to need to bounce back from. And look into just resilience in general and how you might improve your overall resilience in every aspect of life. Next one's from Mackenzie who writes, adolescent focus recall struggles. I've got an adolescent intact male, Ibethan hound, Fable, and have started running into a few struggles with focus slash listening, specifically with recalls when out and about. At this point, I'm going back to basics and making a bigger deal of check-ins and recalls. I'm also trying to give him more time to explore and sniff before asking anything of him and sending him back to whatever he was doing after a recall slash in-between tasks. Is there anything else I could be doing to help support him and set us up for successful recalls and focus as he gets older? So Mackenzie, it sounds like you're already doing a lot of good stuff. Definitely bigger, heavier hitting reinforcement is in order because he's telling you that listening to you out and about in the world is expensive for him. So pay him appropriately for it. But also I would wonder, what are you doing with him in other times in his life? Are you training for any sports? Are you teaching him any fun things that involve only you? I think that one reason my dog's recalls are so good is how much I do with them all the time and how much training they get all the time rather than their actual targeted recall training. Their targeted recall training is a good program and I'm, I'm pretty good at it, but I think that it goes easy for me because of all the other stuff that I do. Also know that this is a tough time. Intact dogs of all breeds and males and females alike have a hard time during this age kind of doing anything. Like their brains just aren't done developing and their bodies are developing and it's just, oh, it's a tough time. So it sounds like you're doing really, really good stuff, but I would bulk up the ways that Fable accesses positive reinforcement through you in all ways of his life. Last one for this week comes from Megan who writes, are there any breeds of dogs or individual dog personalities that shouldn't be off leash? I strongly agree with the decompression walk and I have a new Shiba Inu puppy, which the internet says can't be trusted off leash. She definitely likes to chase and attack her toys. I've listened to your podcast on recalls. I know you say it's possible to train a recall with any breed, but I'm a pet dog trainer with health issues and disability. And as much as I want to be an amazing, consistent trainer, brain fog makes that hard. I mess up signals a lot. I'm probably getting better 
mediocre the more I listen to podcasts, but at the end of the day, I'm only a mediocre trainer. I need my dog to be safe and I don't have a fenced yard, so freedom might be rare for a long time. Won't that mean that it'll be hard to recall her once she finally is allowed freedom? Hi, Megan. So a lot of questions in here. So I'll get to kind of that last one, but the first one is, are there any breeds of dogs or individual dog personalities that shouldn't be off leash? In my opinion, no. There aren't any dogs that shouldn't be off leash because of their breed or their personality. Perhaps because of their history of behavior, perhaps they are dangerous. Then they shouldn't be off leash. But no breeds in particular. However, you're making a really good point. A Shiba might be harder to train off leash reliability to than some other dogs. Or your individual Shiba might be harder to teach off leash reliability to than certain dogs. That doesn't mean that she shouldn't be off leash. It does mean it's probably going to require higher level skill than it might require to teach certain other breeds to do it. What I would say is that, you know, coming into your last question, won't that mean, you know, won't it be hard to recall her if she's not allowed any freedom? Yes, that's true. So you want to be giving her safe freedom now. Sniff spots, friends, fenced in areas, even long line walks, giving her a lot of freedom now and reinforcing her for coming to you out of that freedom is how I would teach it. If we restrict freedom until we think that, that it's safe, we usually are wrong about whether or not it's safe because once the dog kind of gets that taste of freedom, they don't listen anymore, right? And then go easier on yourself. You know, you're a hobbyist. I would figure out with your own personal dog, but you are a pet dog trainer. And I would focus really hard on, you know, what's important to you, what's important to this puppy, and what what reinforcers work. Don't worry a lot about signals or what you're saying or anything like that. Worry about how can I apply positive reinforcement to things that I like. That's all you need to worry about. You don't need to worry about complicated marker signals and stuff like that. What you need to worry about is what does this dog like to eat or play with and how can I deliver it when the dog does what I want and build that good solid communication system as best as you can and know that if you don't land with a dog that you can trust off leash, you can look into sniff spots and other fenced areas to feel safe about and you can also use a long line and a harness to allow your dog some freedom and it will be okay. And that's all for this week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe and leave me a review. If you'd like to support this podcast, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio. You might even hear me answer your question on the show. For more content like the stuff you heard here, check out my online courses at cog-dog-classroom.teachable.com. 